Don't worry about fixing me a lunch. Jenny, I'll grab something at the office. I want to talk to you about something. I've decided we need to lead a small group. Don't look so shocked. I'm German, uh, Joel's sermon really got me fired up. I want to get out there. I want to minister. This whole salt and light year is really the year for me. I, I, I know you really liked last year at Northland, and I did too, but just, that whole holiness thing, I just don't relate to that. <laughs> but salt and light, you know, I mean, I, I can go out there and I can, I can do stuff for God. Yeah, leading a small group. That's the way to go. Oh, I got to run. I love you. Call me later, okay? 525,000 moments Oh, how you doing, Steve? Glad you made it in. How's the house? Hmm? Oh, yeah, sorry to hear that. What? Oh, don't worry about your wife. She'll, uh, she'll adjust. This is a perfect time to uh, transfer down from Minneapolis, right? <laughs> Me? No, I, I don't think I could make a change like that at my age. But you guys, uh, eh, you're young. You'll uh, meet people. Find stuff to do. You'll be great. 525,600 minutes. Yeah. Oh, hi, Jenny. What's up? I've only got a second. You what? Well, why didn't he tell you this last week? I, I know he's a teenager, babe. Yes. Well, I can't drop everything and rush off to a meeting. Well, I'm not sure I want to be part of the band Parents Boosters Club. Because I don't know those people. Jenny, I don't want to. I... Look, I got all the friends I need, all right? Besides, I got you know, to call the church and find out about leading a small group. I'm not going to have time to boost the band. How do you measure, measure a year? <sighs> I'm picking up Jim from Band Boosters. Alice. Uh, Melissa's house. Lean Cuisines are in the freezer. Great. Nine o'clock, nobody home. No, this is crazy. What was I thinking? I can't even get everybody home at the same time to have dinner. How am I going to lead a small group? Oh, my schedule's just too crazy. My job's draining. I'm turning 40. How am I going to add being in ministry to all of that? <laughs> and sure, Sunday morning salt and light sounds great, but by Monday I'm fried. What's Hunter thinking? I mean, how can I possibly worship in the morning and the evening, minister all day without quitting my job and becoming a priest? <laughs> I can't do it. Somebody has written that the problem with the formula for success is that it is exactly the same formula for a nervous breakdown. <laughs> Why is it that when we talk of holiness, 
Nobody gets the picture that they've got to run to the church and do something. But when we talk about ministry, everybody feels like they have to take on all of this extra stuff and kick out all of the other stuff. Why is it that we associate ministry with burden? Why is that? One of the things that we need to learn at the very beginning of this year, after we have connected what Jesus does in the great commandment, that is worship and service, loving God with loving and helping our neighbor, after we've made that very basic connection, one of the things we have to learn is how to lead a balanced life. How to enjoy the ride. And so tonight, what I'd like to do is what we have done previously. Actually, you can get this in great detail in, in the book of, of 1992 when it talks about finding your purpose. But I'd like to go over again those areas, those arenas of purpose. We will simply do a survey tonight around the rim of the container that will become ministry. We're not going to reach any depth or volume tonight, but we will kind of circle the topmost part of what we can do, what we can be, what we can know this year together so that you have an overall survey. Now, there is a very normal place to go for this. If God was going to create a perfect life and a perfect balance of a perfect life, he would have done it in the Garden of Eden. And that's exactly where we go for the picture. The principles are still the same, even though the environment has changed. We're not in Eden anymore, Toto. But the principles are still the same. If you will turn to the second chapter of Genesis with me, and I will read for us, first of all, beginning with verse 15, that God gives every person something to contribute. He creates every one of us with a purpose in mind, a job to do. Look at Adam, which in Hebrew means all men. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. What we will learn later is that we have two basic parts of any job. That is, to bring out something that was not there before. Cultivate something. Bring out something that was not there before. Nurture something. And also to keep it. That's a more guarding. Making, making sure that what is being created is not threatened by that which could destroy it. That's basically our job. We'll tell you more about that later. But the thing I want you to notice right away is this. That God never gives us a job without creating an environment that will sustain us in that job. Let me say this again. This is very, very important. God never gives us a job without creating an environment that will sustain us in that job. Most of the reason that people fail in ministry is because they run out and they try to do something without ever creating a structure that will sustain them and support them in that activity. Most families fail because they have failed to provide an atmosphere for the growth of love. 
Not that they didn't start to love each other and tried to love each other, but the environment was not there to nurture that love. And the same is true with work. And so, right away, we see that God is providing a garden to provide for Adam as he does his work. Look in verse 16. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. First principle, first arena of fulfillment and purpose. God is the provider and provides all that we need on the spot. On the spot. So that we do not have to depend on our own strength, have our own inventory of capabilities and energies and stored up resources. That's not what we work from. I remember a a story about a little boy who was helping his dad clear a garden. And he saw this kind of man-sized weed over there. You know when you're a boy, you, you, you want to do man things. You want to tackle big things. So he goes over to this, he goes over to this weed, you know, dad's there. He just hunkers down on this thing. Starts going back and forth, trying to pull this thing up. Uh, he can't do it. Dad looks at him and says, honey, I want you to use all the strength that you have at your disposal, all the strength available to you to pull up that weed. Well, the kid, he's psyched up again. So he bends over and he's yanking, he's pulling, and his face is getting red, and he's sweating, and his ears about to pop off, and he just, he just can't move the thing. He gets up and says, I can't. And the dad looks at him and says, honey, you didn't use all the strength available to you. And he said, I most certainly did. I tried as hard as I could. And the dad said, no, 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 you don't get what I'm saying. I was standing here right beside you all the time. You had all of my strength available in addition to all of your strength. And you did not ask me one time to help. That's what God wants us to know. We are not expected to do ministry in our own strength. It's laughable to think that we could do ministry in our own strength. We are not expected to do it with our own resources, our own capabilities, our own understanding, our own nothing. God created us so that he could provide for us along the way. That is a very important principle. I read in Forbes magazine, this uh, latest issue of Forbes magazine, had an article about the Internet and how people are so excited about the Internet, but nobody has really fathomed what it can possibly do yet. But he mentioned some of the companies that are really starting to take major advantage of the Internet. And one of the, a uh, couple of the country, or companies that he mentioned were uh, Ford and GM. He said what they have done is they have used the Internet to directly link to their suppliers. Now think for a moment, if you will, if you're a giant corporation, how much energy you can save if... Number one, you don't have to have a whole layer of people to order products for you to replace the products to use, you, you've used. Number two, if you are directly linked to a supplier and, 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 and they, uh, they have a, an account daily of what you've used, then they can send it to you the next day so you don't have to have the huge warehouses. They, you, don't, you, can, you can redeploy all those people. You don't have the expense of mounted up inventory. So it saves you tons in money and in energy. I want to tell you, we've got the same thing. All of us think, for some reason, we've got to, we've got to have a whole bunch before we go into a ministry. We've got to have it all stored up. And that is absolutely not true. 
you've got your supplier right beside you. And he expects you on the spot as you expend the energy to ask that it be resupplied. As a matter of fact, he doesn't give us supplies ahead of time. Can you imagine the lunchbox Adam would have had to have to do work every day, carry in his own stuff every day? He doesn't expect us to do that. He expects to supply it as we need it. As a matter of fact, if you will turn to Matthew chapter 10, verse 19, you'll see something. He is training the disciples, but when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about how or what you will speak, for it shall be given you in that hour you are to speak. Therefore, let me say this to you. Ministry is something that the energy and the resources come as we go along. As we go along. And it's all to have continuing dialogue and fellowship with the Father. He will provide whatever you need to help someone else out. If he doesn't, it's not your job. Number two, there is an additional provision that he gives. Look at verse 17. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. God creates boundaries for our good. Now, let me say something very important for you to remember. Boundaries are not a negative to counterbalance the positive. Boundaries are a positive to defend against the negative. Boundaries are our friends. Our limits are our friends. Now, that's not easy for us to remember because we hate boundaries. We've hated them since we were little kids. Even when we're trying to use things to hold us accountable, we tend to, we tend to avoid those things upon which uh, our limits should be built. Uh, the limits to our appetites, for example. I'm, I, I know some of you uh, uh, got on a diet New Year and going to lose some weight. Now, one of the instruments you use to hold you accountable is your scales, right? Now, let me ask you this. If that's really something you want, to you want to use to hold you accountable, why are those scales in your bathroom instead of in front of your refrigerator? <laughs> I tell you why. Because we tend to avoid boundaries and limitations of any kind. But Scripture says God has given these to us for our protection, not because he hates us, but because he loves us and because he knows that we will go on the path to ruin by virtue of our appetites. It's just that simple. I get letters, as you know, every week. By the way, I, I, I got to keep reminding you all. I forgot to, to tell the other services. I don't read anonymous letters. So don't if you're not going to sign it, don't waste the stamp. But I do get letters every week, and I get a number of letters every week of people who are very angry because they've read something in the newspaper, or they've heard something uh, preached, or they've heard from an elder or a counselor or just another body member here. Someone has had the gall to tell them that what they were doing is wrong and pointed it out to them in Scripture, and that makes them angry. And usually the letter runs like this. 
I came to Northam because I thought it was a friendly place. I thought you were a thinking and open-minded congregation. And the, the Savior I know, the Jesus I know, loves us all unconditionally and does not condemn people. Well, let me tell you two things about this. First of all, I am so pleased to get those letters. I am so thankful for those letters because every time I get one of those letters, I'm reminded that we've not lost our saltness, that we've not compromised what God has said in order to tickle the ears of people. But the second and most joyous I am about this is to, is, is to have the opportunity to write them back and to say, you know what? This is not about condemnation. This is about protection. This is not about what we feel. This is about what God says. And God said it because he loves you and he wants to protect you. This is very, very important. When we violate God's boundaries, and not all of them are moral. Some of them are schedule boundaries. We work too hard and we don't take our Sabbath. Some of them are relationship appropriate boundaries not moral boundaries. There are other kinds of boundaries. But every time we violate a boundary, we do it to our own detriment and to the detriment of the people around us. That's what is important for us to understand. Boundaries are a great gift from God. William Hendricks is a, or Howard Hendricks, I'm sorry, is a, is a uh, uh, professor at Dallas. And uh, he used to tell a story about his little boy used to pray. And he'd, and, he'd, and he'd thank God for two things. He said, he'd, he'd say, God, thank you for my sandbox and thank you for my fence. And, and one day somebody was, was over um, and heard the little boy pray that. And he said, I'm kind of curious about that. He, he said, I can understand why a little boy would say thank you for my sandbox, but I can't understand why he'd say thank you for my fence. And, and Howard Hendricks looked at him and says, I'll tell you why. Because on the other side of the fence are two big dogs. <laughs> Let me tell you something. On the other side of God's boundaries are big dogs. Do not take those boundaries down. Do not eliminate those fences. They are there for our protection. They are a plus against the minus. So God gives us two resources. One, all of the provision we need. Two, all of the limitation we need. And then he expects us to go to work. It says in verse 15 that we were put here to cultivate and keep the place. Labor is basically what we contribute to the world. Now, all of you resonate with this because all of you love to contribute. All of you would rather give than receive. You know how I know that? Because we were made to do that. We were made to do that. It kills most of us to accept any gift without trying to pay something back. That's because we were made to produce so that we could give to someone else. When Jesus says it's more blessed to give than receive, he means it's more natural to give than receive. It's more rewarding to give than receive. And so there is this sense in which no matter how limited you feel, you are always extended to joy and strength when you give. Johnny Erickson Tata tells about a friend of hers, Diane. This friend happens to be 
in the advanced st stages of multiple sclerosis, and her body is drawn up very tightly. She has a friend who lives with her, uh, and this friend of hers, a darling woman, uh, bathes her every day and gets her ready to face the day. But the routine is always the same. This woman will knock on the door and she will, she will peer in and she'll see little Diane drawn up under the covers that she's put over Diane the, the night before. And she'll say to Diane, she'll say, are you ready to get up now? And this little head will peek over those covers and say, no, not yet. And she'll just smile and go back out of the room because she knows what Diane's doing. You see, Diane's headboard is filled with pictures of people and, and headlines cut out of newspapers and requests from friends for prayer. For hours every morning, Diane goes down that headboard and prays for every one of those people. And then she prays that God would remove the, the impediments that stand in the way of the missionaries. And then she prays for the people who are having relationship problems that they could be restored and so on and so forth. Now, some of you might take a look at her and say, well, the poor little thing, she, she can't really function. I want to tell you, she's got the most powerful function in this world. I hear people say all the time, well, the least I can do is pray. No, that's the most you can do. That is the most productive anyone can be. But the point is this. The point is not just the results that come about from this woman's prayers. The point is that when you are in that kind of shape, it is the knowledge that you are making a difference that gives you enough hope to go on. That's the point. And if she has that kind of knowledge and she has that kind of hope from giving, so should we. That's where it comes from, because that's what we were made for. Viktor Frankl says in his writings at, from Auschwitz, he says, I remember in those horrible prison camps that there were some men, always the same ones, who would take their meager ration of bread and they would give it to someone who looked like they needed it more. He writes this, they did not always last longer, live longer than the rest of us. But I will never forget what it meant to look at those men who made this statement every time they did that act. As long as we can give, you cannot take away our freedom. As long as we can give, you cannot take away our dignity. As long as we can give, you cannot make us victims. Listen, there will come many times in your life when you say, I have nothing to give. It's just barely all I can do to put one foot in front of the other. And you will be tempted to withdraw and just take care of yourself. Don't do that. Don't do that. Number one, don't do it because it's not you who are giving yourself. It's your giving what God is providing for them. But number two, when you do that, you subtract from yourself the freedom. The freedom and the joy that comes from contributing. And that subtracts your hope and you become a victim. We were made to contribute. We'll talk more about that later.
But that's not all we were made for. We were also made to learn. Read on with me. It says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. It's the only time in all creation when God says it's not good. Usually he makes something, he steps back and goes, Mmm, it's good. Makes something else, he steps, Oh, that's good. Steps back again, Oh, that's very good. But the first time God looks at someone and says, It's not good that someone should be alone. Now, we all know the reason for this. We were made for relationships. And we were made for relationships because God is, in summary, a relationship while being single at once. God is both singular and plural at once. He is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Singular and plural at once. The way that we can be in His image is to be in an intimate friendship, relationship, especially marriage, where we are both singular and plural at once. Yes, you are an individual, but you'll never be an individual again. You are both singular and plural at once. So we were made for relationship. And therefore God says it's not good that man should be alone. And then he says, I will make him a helper that's suitable for him. Now we already got the answer. But does God do it right away? How many times in your life did you know what the answer was and God didn't do it right away? You, you, knew, you knew you're supposed to go over here. And here you are, and circumstances are taking you over here. And you go, wait a minute, God. I, I know I'm supposed to be over there. And, and, and there's a whole circuitous route. I mean, it's like you're going around the barn, and here you go. And you're thinking, what's up with this? The shortest distance is a, a straight. Why aren't I over? Because God's teaching you something. God's teaching you something. And the value of the lesson is as important as the fulfillment of the purpose. Watch. God says, I'm going to make him a helper suitable for him. But then the first thing he does is he starts, he starts making animals. And it says, And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now I want you to get the scene here. Adam knows that he needs a spouse that is enough like him to be intimate, but enough different from him to be necessary. Catch that. Don't forget that. If you are in a relationship with somebody exactly like you are, one of you isn't necessary. God gives us people to compliment. Who we, he gives us people who are different on purpose. Now, Adam is looking, though now, for somebody who's similar enough to him to have an intimate relationship with. And all of these animals are going by. And basically, he's kind of looking at these animals, wondering if, if any one of them is worthy to date. <laughs> You've been there, haven't you? Some of you can, can identify with this very well. And, and, and the Bible says that um, God brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now, this is more than just a simple calling. This is a calling out to. This is a calling to see what kind of response he gets. There are two things that are going on here. First of all, it's the world's first scientific inquiry. Because in, in, in Scripture, names are indicative 
of a person's nature and of a person's fate or, or destiny. So there is a particular reason that things are named what they are. And so Adam is, is seeing all these things and he is looking at the nature so that he can have an appropriate response to what these things are. But he's not going to choose them for intimacy because the Hebrew word for um, um, helper, the Hebrew word is corresponding one. It's translated the one who answers back. Is it some surprise to you men that the that the Hebrew derivative of the word for wife means the one who talks back? That, that should not be a surprise. The one who talks back to you. That is the meaning of the word. And so Adam is calling out to these things, see if he can get any response. And he doesn't get a suitable response. And so he gives them their name. He learns what is appropriate and what is not. How to relate to them appropriately. And that's what all learning is. And all learning is very important. Because all knowledge is useful. But it's only useful if it teaches you how to react appropriately to a certain thing. You see, you can have the same thing going on. And if you act, react one way, it's for good. And if you react the other way, it's for bad. One way gives something constructive. And, the, and another way, it gives, it, it's, it's destructive. Let me give you a good example of that. Many of you have heard uh, that the experiments recently with uh, DNA strands, the, um, the, uh, the end of a DNA strand, strand I'm sorry, um, is... Um, um, I got this word here. I've been saying it is a tele, it's called a telomere, and 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 they've been trying to figure out why do uh, certain cells go on for a while and then they'll just have they have a little little biological clock inside that says okay it's time to die, that is it's time not to reproduce, and what they've discovered is these DNA strands have on the end of them uh, these little telomeres and little bits break off the ends of the telomeres, and so. Um, uh, <clears throat> when enough breaks off, that's the signal that you don't reproduce and the cell dies. Now, people are very excited because they've, dis they've discovered this enzyme or they they've appropriated this enzyme in order to infuse into this process. And this enzyme, telomerase, is, is, is what they, they infuse into this DNA structure now and that builds back the end. Now, the signal to die doesn't come. It continues to reproduce generation after generation after generation, many more generations. Now, now people are all excited because they, they say, well, boy, we're going to be able to live now for, for uh, 120, 150 years because, because now we've discovered the secret to eternal life. Problem with this is, this isn't the first time they've known about telomerase. There already are cells that go on multiplying indefinitely. And these particular cells are full of telomerase, and they're called cancer cells. That's the exact description of cancer. There is, in a laboratory, in somewhere in the United States, it says in, in, a, in a book by John Medina, a tumor taken from a woman in 1956 that continues to grow. The cells will not die. 
Here's the point. The exact same dynamic can give elongated life or can give cancer, which causes more immediate death. How we react and what we do makes all the difference in the world. And so the learning process in this world is for, is for our benefit so that we can act appropriately. And that's something that we learn all of our lives. We'll teach you more about that later. But here comes the good part. The good part is the love part. I love this part. It says, So the Lord God caused, I'm sorry, the, the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Men, don't feel like you're the first person that ever struck out. Adam struck out many times before Eve came along. It says, so the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord, caused, uh, uh, the Lord fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I wish I could give you the Hebrew construction. There's quite a bit of excitement happening here. Quite a bit of relief, too. So here's this guy who's calling out. For his spouse. By the way, in your memory verse, it is no accident that it says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through him who called us. The Greek word here is uh, kalasantas. And it means to call personally by name. In other words, what Adam did at the beginning, Jesus did for his bride. Jesus is calling out for a personal response. Choosing his bride like that. That'd be us. So when, when the Lord calls, makes that call on your life, that's the same dynamic that's been going on from the beginning of time. But the point is this. That this last part, this love part, makes all the rest worthwhile. Without the love, nothing can have ultimate meaning. Without the love, nothing can have ultimate completion. It's very important to understand that love makes all the difference in the world. We can have all the provisions of God, obey all the limitations of God, be as productive as we possibly want, know everything. But as 1 Corinthians 13 would tell us, you can have enough knowledge to move mountains. You can, you can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but if you have not love, you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's what means everything. It makes all the difference. And it's what makes everything fun, quite frankly. Beck and I flew up to, to uh, Cleveland this week, for a few days, went to a car rental place, had the reservations, showed up at the car rental place, and a guy and a, and a, and a woman looks at me and we kind of says, we, are, "We don't have any cars." I, I, I'm standing there. What? I mean, we're on a tight schedule here. I, I said, "What?" I, I said, "I pull out my paper." He says, "It says right here, guaranteed." She says, "I'm sorry. I really am sorry, but there were eight due back this morning. Not one of us showed up yet." I'm saying, you've got to be careful. What, what does this word guaranteed mean? And I'm getting, all, I'm getting all frustrated with this woman trying to negotiate for something she doesn't have. 
I, don't, I, I, can't even, I can't believe I'm going through this. I'm, and, and now I look over to Beck, who, by the way, is a great negotiator, great debater. I know that from experience. So, so I'm, I'm looking over to her for help. Beck is over there. She's digging out. She sees these guys coming out. They're snowy, you know, and these workers are coming in. They've got snow on their mustaches and all this kind of stuff. She's pulling stuff out of her pocket that she picked up off the plane. She says, hey, look, we got a muffin here, apple cranberry thing. I didn't want it. Do you want that? You look kind of hungry. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I like it. So he's eating this. She's, she, and she goes to another. I got some peanuts here. I couldn't finish these peanuts. Would you like some peanuts? Be, yeah. I'm over here. Wanting negotiating help. She's starting a food kitchen on this side of the <laughs> But I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. Who's right here? Who's got the approach? Who, who really has everything in perspective? You know what? They saw her. Ten minutes later, we were in a 15-passenger van going down the road. <laughs> I mean, they dug this thing up because they liked her. Not because I was negotiating so great. But the point is this, whether or not we ever got the van, she had the right perspective. Love makes all the difference in the world. That's what we've got to remember. Love's not everything. I, I, I'm not looking to produce 10 million flower children here. That's, <laughs> our, our community needs more than that. But it's what is crucial. I love Edna St. Vincent's Millay's a sonnet that says, love is not all. It is not meat or drink, nor slumber, nor roof against the rain, nor yet a raft that floats to men who sink and rise and sink and rise and sink again. Love cannot fill the thickened lung with breath, nor clean the blood, nor set the fractured bone. Yet many a man is making friends with death, even as I speak, for lack of love alone. It may well be that in some difficult hour, pinned down by pain and moaning for release or nagged by want beyond resolution's power, I may be driven to sell your love for peace or trade the memory of this night for food. It may well be I do not think I would. What is the love that is stronger than the strain we must go through? What is the source of that love? What is the model of love that is deeper than gain?
that's it. That's the source. That's the model. That's why we do everything we do this year. And without that remembrance, nothing we do will be complete. Would you stand please for the benediction? Let me ask the prayer team to come forward. Let me ask any of you who don't know that kind of love, that if you'd like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to live in your heart tonight, you will know that kind of love. That love, that love will be walking around inside of you. Some of you have made that commitment already, but it's been a while since you've sensed that kind of love and you just need somebody to remind you so that you can give it to someone else. And there are specific areas in your life when you need, you need God's provision. They would love to pray with you tonight. Now, let's go from here. And let's do good to everyone we meet. But let's love them like he loved us. Amen.